Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Guys, we're bringing on a guest today that is just a normal law enforcement dude that we had on the pod about a year ago. We did a hunt consult. And in that consultation, we basically just kind of gave him ideas on over-the-counter Colorado. And so we're going to check back in with Will. He's out of Wisconsin, and I want to hear his hunt report, what he did well, what he could have done better. And it's just a really relatable content because we all work hard to hunt elk on public land, and especially Colorado, where it's a little more crowded. And you're going to have to do things a little differently to separate yourself from the pack and to get into elk every day. So we're bringing Will on. He's a great dude. It's going to be a fun listen. Here we go. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves, We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go what were you saying it's been a year to the day yes it's it's almost been a year to the day i would say so uh since we talked last or since we did the, the last podcast so Yep. Okay, so take take the listeners through the first time you came on the podcast. What do we discuss? So if they want, they can jump back, listen to that one. I'll include a link in the show notes. But what did we chit-chat about? Yeah, so I emailed you about a bunch of questions that I had as it related to elk hunting, specifically about hunting burn scars, my bow setup, my arrow weights, um, and just very various questions as it related to that. And just kind of finding elk in general, good tactics to utilize and everything. So... Um, yeah, I actually, I had to refresh my memory. So I, I listened to it last night again. <laughs> I'm like, I can't remember. Oh, what it's like, I was talking about, but... <laughs> yeah, I was like, dang, he, he's got a better memory than me, but now I feel better. If you re-listen to it. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yep. So what's changed for you in the last, in the last season between here and now? I mean, like just work life family anything major uh nothing too crazy i'm still working um in law enforcement and we just recently well, in the last couple months we hired a new officer so i've been training him and he'll be out on his own coming up pretty soon um so that's nice we'll be fully staffed again um and uh otherwise just i mean hunting season last year was a lot of fun whether it was i mean between elk season i shot a Shot a decent whitetail with a, with a bow and then another one with a rifle. Um, killed some ducks, been fly fishing recently. Um, so I just had that same archery competition that I had last year um, that just finished up this last weekend. Um, so, um, yeah, now I'm just kind of getting ready for elk season again. So. <laughs> So how did you get tags in your pocket? How did I get tags in my pocket? Yeah, how'd you do it, man? So I just did another, you're saying as it relates to this year, I'm sorry. Yeah, like uh, what What did you put in for, how did you get a tag? I mean, 
What state are you in? I'm in Wisconsin. Yep. Yeah. Um, Which part of Wisconsin, by the way? South, South Central, Princeton, Wisconsin. Um, okay. And so I just did, last year we did the over-the-counter in Colorado. Um, this year I'm doing that again. So I did not put in for anything. I just um, probably should have, but I didn't. I'm like, well, you know, we were, we did not kill an elk last year, um, but we got into elk every day and we can get into that obviously. Um, so my thought process was, you know, I'm just going to do another OTC and see what happens. So, um, hopefully my buddy Leo is going to be able to go with me again. Um, my brother is going to go along. He's not going to hunt, but he's just kind of going along as, as a buddy and a pack mule, hopefully. So, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, so we're going to go to the same unit. Um, we hunted a completely different unit that we um, were intending on doing uh, or hunting. Um, and actually, so if you recall last year, you kind of opened up the podcast with that letter that that police officer had written to you, Jeff. Um, so he actually got a hold of me after um, he listened to the podcast. Um, he reached out to me, I think on Instagram, and we got to talking, and he actually gave some recommendations as to kind of where to go and what to look for and um and so we did that and obviously i'm not going to mention units and everything but um i so shout out to jeff like seriously jeff when you're listening to this like thank you very much because i mean i think you know if it weren't for him i don't think we would have um gotten on as many elk and bulls as we did um so hopefully i can repay that to him or pay it forward at some point but we chat every once in a while and i've offered he's kind of he likes hunting turkeys and stuff too and you know hopefully we've we've talked loosely about getting together at some point and you know hunting turkeys or having him come out here to wisconsin and killing an eastern turkey or something like that so um you know it's just kind of cool how that stuff works so i i can't thank him enough for for reaching out and, and helping me along there but uh that was pretty cool. Any updates on Jeff? Like, I know he was in the hospital, surgery, stubborn. I mean, this was a year ago, but I remember his email. He's a badass, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't talked to him probably. We shoot each other a text every once in a while. Um, but he he was definitely, it, it was a long, it's been a long road to recovery the way he made it, makes it sound or made it sound. Um, but he's, you know, staying motivated and ambitious. And I mean, I think. You know, I don't, I don't know if he's back to work yet officially or not, but I think he's, he's getting up to that point. So, um, but I'm going to reach out to him again, um, in the next couple of days and just see how he's doing and kind of let him know that I'm coming out to Colorado again. And he was kind of trying to, and again, it was just a situation last year, but he, um, I think he, well, I know that he was actually planning on trying to come out and join us for a couple of days. Um, but that just wasn't in the cards. So, um, but maybe this year, maybe this year he'll be able to do that for a little bit. So that'd be cool. But Okay. So you're going back to Colorado. Have you actually bought your tag yet or do you just wait till you get there? Um, I'm going to probably buy it online. I think the sales go August 1st. I think you can buy your OTCs. If I read it correctly, maybe you can just do it now. But So I'm, I'm going to do it online regardless instead of just waiting. But last year we just bought it when we got out there. Um, and... Um, from my understanding too, I think this might, I know Colorado is going to be changing things up, I think in 2024, a little bit as far as availability for over the counter and things of that nature. And I don't know if that's going to relate to, to bow or, or rifle, but, um, so yeah, that's the plan. We're going to, I'm going to just buy it online again and plan is to go back to the same unit because we were, we found elk, we were in elk every single day and we just couldn't quite connect. But I mean, my thought is like, it's a good starting point and I'll have plan B's and C's and Z's, but, um, you know, why move if you were in elk, I mean, figure it's good, good place to start again. And I'm not going to leave elk to find elk, I guess, but they could be, they could be who knows where, obviously, but I have a feeling that, that there'll be some in that same area. So, okay. You're going back to Colorado. You're going to do similar, similar country. You learned it. Uh, let's armchair quarterback. Let's like pick apart what you did well and what you did not do well. Cause I know your goal was to kill an elk and you didn't accomplish that per se. I want to do that. But before we get into the quarterbacking, 
from the armchair. I want to hear a cop story. Give me a fun law enforcement story. Give me something that I can confirm I would never want your job. All right. Um, so this happened, oh, probably a month and a half ago, I would say. And I'll keep names out of it and everything and whatnot. But um, it was actually our, our new guy's second shift um, when I was training him. And we had just gotten off a domestic um, and we were sitting next to a county deputy, a couple of them. We were just kind of going over what had happened and everything. And they had been on a separate call. And, um, and so all of a sudden there was a, um, a black SUV that just ripped by us. And I, I was sitting perpendicular in a parking lot to a road. Um, and he just blew by me. So I didn't, I didn't get him on radar or anything, but I knew he was going way over the, the 25 mile an hour speed limit. <laughs> um, so I pulled out, I lit him up, put my sirens on and everything, and he was not stopping. Um, and ultimately, he went around the corner. Um, he went off into a field, corrected it, came back across the road, went into a ditch, corrected it again, went back into the ditch again. And then somehow he fit this thing through um, a mailbox and a tree. Um, didn't take out the mailbox, but he busted his sun, uh, sunroof um on on his suv off of one of the limbs on the tree so we got out and we conducted what's called a high-risk stop um and um basically like you're you have no i mean they're they're running from you right i mean you have no idea what the heck is um what's going to be in that vehicle who's in the vehicle do they have weapons anything like that so high-risk stop is you're not approaching the vehicle you're getting out you're using ideally the the pillars of your vehicle you're stacking um the pillars um, standing at the back of the vehicle, using those as cover um, instead of your door because doors don't stop bullets. Um, and so we had him at gunpoint. Um, and I actually moved to a tree because the way he was positioned, um, our car wasn't in, in a great tactical. Uh, we didn't have a great tactical advantage um, on my side from our vehicle. Um, so I moved over to a tree and I ordered him out and he was quite intoxicated, um, and um, but I had him, I had him hands out the window or hand, slowly open the door, hands up, um, you know, slowly exit the vehicle. Um, I tried to get him to turn around, but he was so inebriated that he just decided to get down on all fours and start crawling towards me. So I'm like, well, I guess that works. Um, and so we prone him out. We got him in cuffs. His girlfriend was, was pretty, pretty gone too. Fortunately, nobody was injured. Um, and it was, it was a guy that I had dealt with in the past and very, I mean, he's actually not, <laughs> I say this lightly, but I mean, he's not, he's a pretty cooperative guy overall. I mean, as soon as I, I saw him stick his head out, I'm like, Oh, okay. This is, you know, Bob will call him, but I'm like, all right. So yeah, he, uh, he got arrested that night. Um, and uh but fortunately nobody was was injured except for for the, the suv so <laughs> yeah dude you're freaking flyers you gotta love them you got good customers good customer retention oh man and uh what did the rookie think of all that he was he didn't really expect that to happen the second night um and you know and rightfully so i mean you know we're a small department so our call volume is not anything compared to a larger city. Um, obviously we still deal with the same kinds of calls, the same kinds of people, but we just don't, we don't have the call volume, which is, which is fine with me. So I can't say I expected that that night either. Um, but he was like, man, like this is pretty insane. You got off a of domestic and you hate to see domestics obviously, but, um, or anything like that. But, uh, you know, and then we had that high risk stop right away. And, um, so it was good though. I mean, he got his feet wet right away on training um because again that's another thing you don't um on smaller departments you can you can go over you know notional scenarios hypotheticals all that stuff um but you might not necessarily get to deal with it real world um while you're on training um just because we don't have the call volume um so some things you just got to kind of you know you just do your best to, to learn it on training and you know then when when um you're on your own. If you haven't had one, then, um, you kind of got to figure it out, but you do it from a, you know, a training and knowledge based standpoint. And there's always other, you know, our County deputies around here are very good about helping out and vice versa and everything. So we got a good group of guys who work within the, the local municipalities and the, in the County, we've got a great relationship with everybody. So it's a, uh, it's pretty tight in the community. Um, everybody's, 
really willing to help everyone out and, and things like that. Mm, okay, man. So lace up the sneakers, armchair quarterback. Let's pick your effort. Take us through the 2022 season. I do want to know what you did well. I also want to know what you did not do well. And we'll kind of go from there. All right. So we got out. We left. Uh, Leo and I left on August 28th. Um, so we got out there a few days before the season, which I think was super helpful because most guys weren't out there yet. Um, and so we had a few days to just scout. We drove straight through, um, took a nap in a Walmart parking lot in the truck, got some groceries and everything. And then we went to our unit. Um, and we found elk, like fresh elk sign that evening. Um, and then we started, I think, I'm trying to remember if we actually saw elk that night or not, but ultimately we were kind of going off of Jeff's recommendations in this unit. Um, and it was, this unit was as far as like terrain, um, we were primarily hunting, um, sage, pinion juniper, um, and, you know, we were hunting between like, I would say six and 8,000 feet. Most of the time I would say we were between six and 7,000 feet. Um, the first three or four days we were probably hunting a little bit higher, but what we had been doing, um, this Valley, um, there's a river bottom and those elk would come down onto the, the private ag fields, um, in the evenings and they would feed all night. And then what, so what we would do, there was, um, public behind it um up high and so we would try to we would go down we did this probably three or four mornings in a row where um we would drive down we would locate them um we would find them like going up the slopes back into the timber and then we would go back around and we would try to cut them off essentially and that did not work very well um we came pretty close to some i mean we were we could smell them we found like you know poop that was still steaming but the thing is is like it was so hot out there i mean it was getting up into the mid 90s during the day and so those elk were bedding down really early seemingly um but they would go into these really dog hair thick you know basins um up off of these ag fields and they would just bed right away and it was so difficult to get down to them because they were quite literally these hell holes um and because we were it was so early in the hunt we didn't want to drop down in there and you know bust them out or whatever um so we were just kind of trying to hunt the fringe kind of above the base and get down as, as far as we could in there without like messing anything up um we worked one bull there. We got him pretty close. Never saw him, but he was probably within 100, 150 yards. Um, and eventually, we just decided, you know, this isn't this isn't working. We um, the elk are here. We know they're here, but if we keep doing this, we're either gonna one have to go into their bedding area and you know risk and very likely probably bust them, um, or we can just start, you know picking a few other spots and, and going somewhere else. And we had, we had picked like, you know, we had scouted various areas within the unit. So we had an idea of where else we wanted to go. Um, so we picked up camp after three or four nights and we were just kind of camping by the truck. Um, and we moved that first night that we moved, that was when we started night bugling. Um, and I mean, right away, that was the coolest thing ever. Um, I mean, like we would just drive around, shut the truck off and just start ripping bugles. And I mean, these elk were just lighting up all over the place. Um, and I think they weren't, they weren't quite as talkative right off the bat, um, right away in the season. But then I think like about the time we started moving and maybe it was just the area that we were in, but maybe they were a little more talkative there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was we would we would shut off the truck bugle a couple of times you'd hear one or two and then you know we'd just kind of like approximately you know mark them on onyx and then we would drive down the road and we would do it again um and that worked exceptionally well and so that that first morning after we had moved and did the night bugling we got on that morning we went to that approximate location um heard a bugle almost right away um so um, we got on that bull. Um, so, and I gotta, <laughs> I gotta back up a little bit. So I gotta thank my buddy, Leo. He, so he's cheap. Um, he just decided to buy a cow tag. Um, and I bought an either sex tag. So, I mean, we're chasing bugles and I was, I was the shooter the entire time. So, um, Leo, thank you, I guess. But, um, 
<laughs> that was, but I wish you would have gotten a, a bull tag, but that being said, I mean, it was great experience too. Right. I mean, you know, like being the shooter, um, most of the time because where the bulls are, the cows were. And, um, but anyway, so we got up onto this, this long Ridge, um, up top and this bull was probably, we got him within probably a hundred yards. He started moving down slope. We followed him down a little bit. Um, and then he, this thing came probably from 200 yards out. He came on a rope, like full bore, full tilt. And he just like threw on the brakes and just stopped like gears pinned forward, just looking. And, and that was probably about a hundred yards away. He dropped down a little bit. Um, and we were, we were chatting with him and I made, this is where I made a mistake. I thought that I was able to move, um, because I couldn't see him. I thought he had moved down into some brush and I started moving. Leo was behind me. And then all of a sudden, like he was gone. And so he busted me. Um, and we kind of, we chased him. I don't know if he like completely busted me, but he smelled something that was wrong. Um, and then, so I was following him. Um, and kind of working either him or a different one. I don't know what it was, but anyway, eventually that didn't work out. So we kind of, we came back together, um, tried to figure out what to do next. And then we saw probably we glassed. It was, I guess he had to have been a mile away, but there was this big herd bull with probably seven or eight cows, um, up on this, um, up on this meadow right below this timber stand. And he went into the timber stand so we actually hiked back to the truck, um, got in the truck and we went up this two track and we parked, um, kind of above this timber stand, got out of the truck. And I, I literally asked Leo, I'm like, you think I should rip a bugle here? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to rip one. What the heck? But of course you as should. As soon as I yeah. said that, as soon as I said that this thing chuckles, like probably a couple hundred yards away, I guess we don't have to do that. So um so we went in after after this bull and we no kidding dan we worked this bull for three hours and it was it was insane i mean he i he was easily over 300 inches um but he would just he must have had his cows behind him and he was in between us and them and he would just arc back and forth like probably 70 to 80 yards away and he just kept backing down the slope he would come in he would stop, he would arc, arc, and he always had brush in between, in between him mm -hmm. and us. And we yep. just could not get close enough. The last time, the last time I had him, um, the last time we saw him, I, we had good winds. He was coming up slope. I could hear him. I smelled him. And then he chuckled once and I saw antlers move through the brush. And then he peeled back down towards his cows and we probably worked him for another 15 minutes. And then he took off, like off that ridge, his cows must have crossed the valley and then up another ridge. Um, and I had him at about 40 yards there momentarily, but I didn't have a shot. Um, and so that was, that was a crazy morning. I mean, that was so much fun. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, we just kept, I mean, I think we, I don't remember if we got into anything that night or not, but. Um, got into a burn scar the following day. Um, we had another mature bull um, that we were working. He was really close as well in this burn scar. Um, and he just wouldn't come any closer. We were like just just below this crest and he was on the other side of the crest. Well, I tried eventually working around him um, only to find that there was a ravine that was probably 10 or 15 yards wide and it was probably 20 feet deep. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm guessing that's why he wouldn't come any closer. There was no, there wasn't really a good way to, to actually, you know, for that bull to actually get to us and really for us to get to him to an extent. We could have crossed it, but we just kind of recognized it a little bit late, maybe. Um, and uh, so there was that. Um, and then we had another one we set up on just off of this, this road. We had seen some elk the night prior um down in this creek bottom um and so we're like let's just try something different so like there were these two fingers that were coming off the ridge that were kind of pointed towards the road and there was a creek and then um a little sub drain that was coming up and then up onto the ridge essentially um and so eventually there was um a cow and a, a nice a decent bull they came down off the slopes from across the road crossed the road um 
And they started coming right towards this drain that we were sitting over. And we're like, dang, like this could be sweet. I mean, maybe Leo's going to get a shot, you know, at a cow. Maybe I'm going to get a shot at a bull. Like this, this is, this is going to work. I mean, he was, he was talking to us. He was wallowing, scraping, and they got to this, this sub drain was probably like a hundred yards wide. Um, and then there was another finger and they got to the point of that opposite finger. And then all of a sudden the cow wheeled around, she took off and we had good winds. We thought, um, and then eventually the bull did the same thing and they went back across the road. What the heck? Cause the wind was in our face. Like they were coming right up that drain. Um, and I don't know. So we dropped down after, uh, closed. Well, we got down to the tip of that finger and that wind literally was coming towards that finger. And then it did like a 90 degree angle shift and it just went right across to where those elk were. And oh, it was dude, just like this sucks, old, man. yeah, little micro terrain or something. And it just, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, so, and then, yeah, I guess the last, the last morning we were there was opening day of muzzleloader season. Um, I think that was the 10th. What's the date on that, bro? It was, uh, it was September 10th was the opener. Um, yeah, I've been misquoting that. It's a lot earlier than I, than I realized. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I think this year, maybe it's the, it might be the, I think it's the 10th again, actually. I think they yeah, pretty much. I think that it's right. Yep. 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 Um, but yeah, so we actually, we hunted that same burn scar where we, where we, where that nice bull had, had, uh, held up on us a few days prior, three or four days prior. And we got up there. We're like, well, this is our last, last morning to hunt. Um, you know, we weren't really, we weren't really thinking too much of it. We're like, we'll just go up here, try it. It's muzzleloader season, whatever. And, um, got up there and there were just elk all over this thing. I mean, there were a couple bulls, there were cows all over. Um, they ended up working up and over, um, this two track and then down into this, this timber stand where, um, the fire had burned as well. And we got down in there and, um, I mean, we had two mature bulls. We, we didn't see them, but there were, there were two mature bulls on either side of us. We ended up running into a couple spikes and a raghorn that were about 40 yards away, probably. Um, and they were just standing there staring at us. It's like, man, why can't, why can't one of these big guys do that? Right. But we were so focused on these other two. Well, then all of a sudden there's a truck with some muzzleloader guys that came up that two track behind us and we were at i mean like we had hunted so hard at this point and then all of a sudden those spikes and that raghorn they bust and i i was i was not happy i just kind of like i i got up just so they would see us um and i kind of did one of these um and uh they they kept going i don't know if they saw us or not i don't know if they saw the elk or heard the elk but they just kept driving um and um so those those bigger bulls um, one for sure went down up onto another ridge. So we followed that bull. And then we had, again, two of them on both sides. Um, Leo was probably 20 or 30 yards behind me calling. Um, I was ahead of him. And this is like, it was a bunch of regen, um, like probably five to 15 feet tall. And Oh, gross. No. Yeah. So, so our windows, you know, my shot opportunities were not good at all. Um, and, you know, I had windows, you know, from like, 10 yards, 20 yards, whatever. Um, and so I was about 30 yards ahead of Leo and I've got bad hearing compared to Leo. <laughs> um, so probably not a good thing at my age, but, um, right. He said, he said he could hear this bull coming. I couldn't hear him yet. Um, okay. and, uh, so I actually, like, I thought that bull had gone, like he wasn't talking, he stopped, he stopped talking. And so I'm like, gosh, like he's gone. So I walked back to Leo and Leo's like, what the heck are you doing? I'm like, dude, he's, I, he's gone. He's like, no, I can still hear him coming through the brush. I'm like, well, I can't hear that, but I'll go back up there. So, um, and, uh, so I go back, eventually I can finally hear him. It's like, okay, now he's close enough where I can actually hear. Um, and he kept coming, kept coming. And I think this is where I, I messed up for sure. Like, so Leo was calling behind me and I was, I was actually calling as well. Um, oh, and no. Yeah. So, um, that was my mistake. Um, I should not have been doing that. And this bull got to, all I saw eventually was again, this huge set of antlers and ear spin forward at about 40 yards. And I had zero shot and I wouldn't have taken that frontal shot anyway, but 
you know, he had to get what, you know, probably another 15 to 20 yards before I would have had a clear right. shot window. And I think what had happened because I was calling, um, he was looking at me specifically, um, or where I should have been. Um, whereas if I would have just let Leo call, ideally, I think that bull probably would have just kept coming and walking towards me. And I was just standing there like in this opening, like just as stiff as a board. And I'm like, you know, like this thing has got to make a move or something so I can draw on it. Um, and he stood there for, I don't know how long, probably a minute. Um, and then eventually he knew something was up and he went up slope. I chased him up slope. I bugled at him. He actually turned around um, and he came back to about 40 yards and then he really knew something was up and that was it. That was, that was the end of our hunt. Uh, that was the last morning. And we walked back to the truck. We didn't say a word to one another. Um, we didn't say a word to one another until we got back to, uh, to fuel up to town. Like we were just, we were so defeated. Um, we were probably angry at one. I know we were angry at one another. We, we, we talked about it eventually. Um, and, uh, but I, I definitely messed that one up for sure. Um, but it was a very bittersweet hunt. It was, you know, we didn't kill an elk, but I mean, all told we, we worked probably about a dozen bulls in 10 days or so we were in elk every day and, you know, like, yeah, did we kill an elk? No. However, I mean, we, we were in elk we worked bulls. And I think that's more than probably 90% of hunters and especially non-residents can say. Um, and, you know, so I see that as a huge success. Um, I've got a huge chip on my shoulder for this year. And, um, you know, I, it was, it was such a cool experience. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, MidwayUSA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I, didn't, I, don't, think I, really expected, I don't think I really expected to get into that many bulls um, and elk, and that was, that was just so much fun. So. But long story, apologize, but, um, yeah, that was the hunt. Yeah, no, I, I, I wanted a long story. Um, a couple things to think about. Um, if you're a dude who hunted 10 days in Colorado and you didn't have 12 bulls that you interacted with and you weren't into elk every day, I don't think you can learn how to elk hunt very fast that way. And I feel like that's what ends up happening to guys that get stuck with tag soup for several years in, in a row is like, they're just not getting the encounters. So the fact that you guys worked your butts off, moved camps when you needed to, did the night bugling, worked as a team, and were into elk so much. I mean, I can't even tell you. You, like, learned so much so short. I wish everybody could. I mean, to me, that's, like, that's a damn good season. That's a very successful hunt for a wisconsin dude like huge but let's let's talk about that vendetta that chip on your shoulder for 2023 and i think you already said the one mistake was definitely like if you're the shooter you're the shooter not the caller as well and i agree totally and i've done that too by the way like all these mistakes i've done them all um and i have friends that have made these mistakes and it's cost them shots like um there's this one guy, he might even listen to this podcast, but um, his name's Mike. I'm not going to say his last name. And he's like, no, don't, don't tell this story. And I'm going to. Um, my father-in-law was calling for him. And my father-in-law is um, actually somebody I've tried to get on this podcast. He's a very low-key dude. But he's killed so many elk in Idaho with a bow that he can't even tell me how many elk he's killed. He doesn't even, he doesn't even know he was doing elk hunting before elk hunting was even like cool or known about. Like he's just been, we're talking in the seventies, man. Like 
he's like, all right, Mike, I'm tired of hearing you give all these sad stories. I'm going to call for you today. And he, Terry's called for me before, too. And it's a treat. Like, sit back and relax. The dude's going to work a bowl, and, and you're going to get a shot, most likely. Well, he's got this six-point bull coming in on a rope, and he's got Mike 30 yards away from him at the hang-up spot, and he's got Mike's son, Colton, who's a good friend of mine, at the other. They're doing the flying V, and this bull is should have cows. He probably did have cows, but he was searching at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and they didn't have to even, like, from the time they did a location bugle to the time where... This bull came in to get a shot. They didn't even move much, just enough to like set up for shots. That's it. So this bull's doing all the work. And this bull's coming right towards Colton's shooting lane. And Mikey decides to just, he doesn't know why to this day, but he just thought it would be a good idea to help Terry out by adding a couple additional cow calls. And as soon as he let his first cow call out, bull stops and stares right where that sound came from. Doesn't see what he should have seen, gets suspicious, and once he's sus, he's out. And all Colton needed was literally like two more steps, and he'd be in his lane. It was a rough night back at camp, I'll tell you that much, man. And so, yeah, I tell that story not to sell out Mike. I love Mikey, but we've all done it, man. So you got to shut your mouth. when you're. If you're my shooter and I'm calling for you, the only sound I ever want to hear is you maybe cow calling to stop a bull in your lane just so he comes to a complete stop. But I'm expecting to hear thwack after that. You know what I mean? And then you can cow call all you want after you shoot. Now you know. The other thing I'm wondering, and, and Will, I'm just going to shoot you straight, is like I'm, I'm putting myself in that scenario that you guys are in. And I'm wondering if I'm at the truck and I hear a bull chuckle. And you say he's well over, he's north of 300, and he's got cows. I'm wondering if I would have ever made any sound, and I'm thinking I probably wouldn't. I don't care how thick it is. It can't be thicker than North Idaho. I've killed bulls without calling in Idaho. I'm wondering if I would have ever made a sound. Did you ever think to just shut your mouth and let him do all the talking since he already is, and he's already got cows, and he's probably not going to leave his cows to come see your terrible synthetic cow calls? He's going to just arc display, show off how big he is, just in case that maybe you are a real cow and you'll come to him. He ain't coming to you. Have you ever thought about just putting your calls away and sneaking in? Quite honestly, Dan, that did not cross our mind. I think we were so like fired up about it. And like, oh yeah, we're going to call this bull. And like, you know, I, um, so no, I, that really didn't, I don't think that really crossed our mind when we were, when we were, you know, after that bull. Um, but you bring that up and that makes sense to me. So um, yeah, that's, uh, worth, worth keeping in mind for next time. If I find myself in a situation like that this year, um, just kind of creeping in like that, but yeah, that makes total sense. Cause I mean, I guess. Whereas what if he had a satellite bull as well? And that satellite bull is a legal bull in Colorado. He's got at least four on one side or whatever the rule is. And he's that satellite bull is between you guys and the herd bull. We're calling. I mean, if we're meat hunting, we're calling and we're going to call him in, but those the upper echelon age class public land bulls they're it god you got to get lucky to catch them on the right day or you got to have them very much cornered and by cornered i mean the topography to where he's got he's been pushed and pushed and he's finally going to turn around and defend his harem and and i've had bulls do that and i've also had bulls like i've pushed him for miles and I mean, they, they answer every call I make and I'm pushing and I'm sweating and I can hardly keep up. And we finally get to like, maybe we're losing timber. We're, they're going to have to go into the bright sunlight. It's one o'clock. They haven't bedded. And he's like, this bench will work. I'm done. These cows don't want to move anymore. Tongues are hanging out. All right. I'm going to kill you. And that has worked. But man, is it, I mean, it's tough. So I'm just not convinced elk calling is always the... Now, this is just my opinion. There's a lot of guys out there who call elk in, myself included, I've done it. But I'm just talking about like going off of like the vibe I've had. Because um, I'm a public land elk hunter too, man. I don't know why. I need to start hunting private ranches more. But I'm just telling you the public land hustle. These elk are not... They're just kind of... I hate to use the word educated. I just want to say they're experienced. That would be the word I would be okay calling it, you know? So talk talk to me through the lens of 
how do you know when to ter- to check the calls and put them away and go into stealth mode or bubble hunt? Like, keep sneaking in on him, especially if he's already, like, letting his location be known and the, ca- the herd's still moving. It's still good thermals. You have good wind. How would you do that? How- dissect a bubble play where you don't call, but you hang out with elk as close as possible, as long as possible, and good shit happens. Yeah. Um, well, I guess that's, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, um, what the correct answer would be because I guess that we haven't really, I haven't personally really done that. Um, however, I guess kind of just going off of what you were saying, I mean, if you're sneaking in, I, I mean, I would expect like you might be, you know, just working this bull cause they were bedded in there. I mean, that's, that was their intent. Their, their intent was to, to bed down in this timber stand for the, for the day. Um, and it was definitely, yeah, it was easy shooting in there. It would have been easy shooting in there for the most part. Um, and, but yeah, I would, I would suspect like if you're doing something like that and working one of those herd bulls like that, just, you know, if it takes you a few hours just to creep in on one and not make a noise just so you can get close that, I mean, am I kind of on the right track there? Um, Matthews Incorporated out of Sparta, Wisconsin. My go-to is a Phase 4 29. That's what I'll be using for the 2023 fall elk season just around the corner. If you're a little bit longer draw, check out the 33. Vortex Optics. Get your optics online and save some loot. Eurooptic.com. Discount code ELK10 takes 10% off. On X Hunt, elite membership, all 50 states. Do your e-scouting. Get your 3D. Add your waypoints. Run your tracking. Drop a pin when you drop your bull discount code elk shape takes 20 percent off kufaru international running the tactical or the duplex light frame with the hoodlum or bedlam if you see me at a total archery challenge i'll probably run in the kufaru hip quiver made in the usa and i stand behind as the best frame on the market MagView gear made in america lifetime warranty no phone case access to all three cameras on your iphone or android discount code elk shape 10 percent off they also make attachments for binoculars so that you can do digiscoping proper wilderness athlete new discount code we have several elk shaped stacks click the link in the show notes discount code elk shape 2023 crispy boots probably the new fancy boot of the year is the brickstall mountain gtx i got a lot of miles with that it's going to be my starter for the all-around mountain very light flex rating of a three or four somewhere in there super dependable all synthetic very breathable if you're not sure you can always drop down to laponia twos i stand behind them buck knives the alpha scout the alpha hunter the pack light options all those are in my kill kit check it out buck since 1902 stealth cam cellular and non-cellular 20 percent off use the discount code elk shape 20 run that camera on 4k 10 percent off discount code is elk shape 10 you can get multiple cams or just run one you can choose several plans and be on your way getting transmissions the new deceptor has that on demand mode so you can hit a button and get a photo from your camera right on demand it's pretty sick check it out marsupial i'm running the bino harness 10 by 42s got the rangefinder pouch and pocket made out of arizona jim's a good buddy of mine i think it's the best bino harness on the market new to you guys but not new to me born primitive they've been making workout gear in the crossfit scene and fitness space for a long time they have a military background they also hired aaron snyder to consult to make their outdoor line and i've been running it well for the last six months behind the scenes i had all the samples i'm committed i'm going for it so i am running born primitive click the link in the show notes to see what lineups i run not only on the workout side of things but also in the field it's pretty exciting for me to see a big fitness company get into the hunting space and i want to support them back here with e-bikes discount code elk shape takes 300 off and of course if you are buying gear discount code elk shape 10 off at blackovis.com back to the podcast let's put the dirk durham glasses on and in that in that similar situation i know for a fact that if dirk's at his truck and he hears a chuckle and it's pretty clear to everybody that man this is where they intend to bed for the day Dirk would definitely let them bed for the day. And even if that meant hanging out in the wings for the bull to do an uninitiated midday bugle so that you could like kind of drop your final waypoint in your mind as as to which stand a tall, mature timber has the most abundant shade and that's where they're chilling. And then Dirk would go move in slowly with the wind in his favor when it's most predictable midday. Let's just say 11 a.m. or 12. And then I think at that point you can wear... Let's just call these three hats. You could wear the Dan Staten hat, which is I'm going to probably tiptoe in as close as I can 
And if I get a good vibe, I'm going to push the envelope, meaning I'm going to like take a step glass, take a step glass until I see this bull or I see a cow. And once I see that cow or sentinel, I'm going to be like, okay, I can't get in any tighter. I got good wind. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have an arrow knocked. I'm going to have my release on my string and I'm just going to wait to see if he gets up to check cows or to go rake a tree. I'm just going to hang out with the elk as close as possible. I am going to run the risk of the wind switching maybe randomly at one point and blowing them out, but I'm in tight. And I know that if I'm hanging out with elk and I'm close on public land, good stuff happens. I'm going to wear my elk nut hat where we're going to do because everything I just said, except for we're not going to sneak. We're going to draw the line where we're 70 yards from this bull and I'm going to go on his app and I'm going to look up his slow play and I'm literally going to read it word by word and do it. Exactly. And if you guys haven't heard our podcast with Elk Nut, I think he's been on at least once. He d- he breaks that down for you guys. And I think everyone should know the slow play. Maybe you do the slow play. Maybe you put your Dirk Durham hat on and you're like, I'm going to pick a fight with this MFR. And he's kind of the the cows have been bedded now for a couple hours. They're very comfortable. They do not want to leave. And this bull, I'm going to literally let out a couple cow calls. He's going to bugle and then I'm going to bugle. And when I bugle, he's going to be like, get up. And then he's probably going to bugle. And then we're going to escalate the emotion. I'm going to match or mimic what he does. And eventually I'm going to cut off his bugle and he's going to come in raging mad. And I'm going to shoot him because my collar is 30 yards behind me or whatever. And I identified a hang up spot. Let's say you're going to wear the Joel Turner hat and you're going to run the pedo elk program where you're just going to make calf call sounds and you're going to do just bull calling cow sounds. No and you guys need to know the differences between those. If you don't, there's plenty of Dan Staten podcasts to listen to and other resources. I might do the Joel Turner hat and just do that program. But all these guys have one thing in common. They want the herd to be settled. We want a couple hours to go by so that the cows are comfortable. And we want the elk to do elk things. We don't want to go in too early when they're not completely settled and they can pull the stakes like they did. So that's kind of like one thought is like that we're armchair quarterbacking. But, dude, that was the golden opportunity you had to kill a giant. Yeah, yeah. And what you guys did was you guys were like, oh, I've watched Primo's videos. We just got to get close and uh, cow call, bugle, and he'll come running in. Well, you're not at the Hill Ranch in Colorado, Will. You're not at the Deseret. You're not. You're not on a ranch. You're on the public land ranch. And these guys have—they've been messed with. They have experience. And I know that there's a lot of good elk hunters that listen to this podcast. And I'm sure they have even other ideas that that you could run. But those were like my top ideas for you. There. Any questions on those setups? No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm gonna look into those of course a little bit more and listen to podcasts and things of that nature obviously so um but yeah that makes absolutely total sense to me and you know live and learn and it was fun anyway regardless i mean the fact that we got to work them for a few hours but three hours is and isn't it crazy how like i bet those three hours flew by and you were like yeah yeah it felt like an hour probably yeah i mean before you know you look down at your watch and it's like holy crap it's like afternoon already um and uh so that was that was cool but he was big i mean that one and then that one on the last day were just i can't get either of those two out of my mind and but uh so yeah but what was the water what was the water situation where those elk were what was the terrain like what are the odds of that bull wanting to get a sip of water when his cows are on lockdown. He knows where they're at. They're in a safe place. There's no satellites in a finger nearby. He has an opportunity to get some water in his belly um, without losing his herd. Was there any water nearby? Not really. No. Um, I mean, there was, there was enough water in that area where, I mean, you know, there were some like cattle tanks and everything and there were small um, creeks and things, but like it was pretty dry. Um, Said it was up in the mid nineties, most afternoons. Um, and we found that those elk were, again, probably, we hunted them probably around 6,065. Um, and it, when it was just kind of interesting, I guess, because when all the muzzy guys started showing up, everybody started going way high, which I guess maybe you might expect that. Um, but like where we were, there really wasn't, there wasn't any water up high. So, I mean, there was cover, but. I think they were down a little bit lower because they just had better access to water. Um, 
and then of course i mean they had plenty of area to, to to bed down and stuff too and then their food and everything so yeah like we honestly we kind of had the area for the most part all to ourselves um which was great um so yeah there really where he was um he would have had to there was no there was no water in that stand that i can tell you um where they were bedded so um yeah um that they were just bedding early and you know getting up late i think just because of the weather the hot weather that makes sense that they're near water. Um, let's talk about that public land encounter with the other public land hunters, because that is something that doesn't get talked about enough on podcasts. And I'm certainly willing to talk about it because I have my fair share of run-ins. I'd say that overall, they're mostly positive. When the guys came up the two-track road in the vehicle and you were already in the elk, what was the timestamp-ish? Um, I would say probably around 8.30 in the morning probably something like that maybe a little early that's pretty rough that's pretty late that's pretty tough for people to be driving in now did they drive by your four-wheeler or vehicle to get there because the way the way um and it was that road was actually not a public access point um i can't remember how it worked but like there are some like areas that you can you can't drive through because it's private. Like there's private easements or stuff through this public property or whatever. So you can't drive vehicles, you know, through. So I don't know if they just like completely disregarded that or if they had permission to use that road. I don't know. Um, hmm. But yeah, it was, um, it was around probably eight in the morning and they just kind of, they were just slow rolling up this two track and they never stopped. Um, but again, so I don't know if they, that's why I got up and I, I wanted them to see us. Um, but I don't know if they ever did because they just kept going, which thankfully they did. But yeah, but that was frustrating. And I mean, that's unfortunately kind of public land hunting. And I get that even around here, duck hunting and stuff, you know, like you're just, you're going to run into people on public land and you just kind of got to deal with it, unfortunately. So, but you know, that's why we have public land. I mean, you know, we, we use it and it's there so people can't use it, but it doesn't take away from the frustration once in a while. <laughs> no, it certainly doesn't. Um, I guarantee most most instances they're not intentionally trying to F up your hunt. Um, but also it is weird that it is a private easement. Um, if I was betting, man, I would I would bet they didn't have access, honestly, and just didn't know, didn't, didn't do their due diligence. I mean, you're in law enforcement. You understand humans are dumb um and elk does dumb things to humans i've seen it running into other hunters is tough right like you don't really want to and it's it's always kind of awkward because they're probably lying to you and you're probably lying to them and it's almost like a worthless amount of time spent for both parties so i've adopted the philosophy of like I try to avoid having any powwows on the mountains unless like absolutely necessary. And I generally approach with a yielding type mentality of like, just tell me what you wanted to do or what your intentions are. And I will make sure that I don't get in the way of those. So we don't run into each other again. And um, that's been a good approach. Honestly, it's not always easy to do, but all in all, I think we all can agree that we're we have similar goals we've made similar sacrifices to be where we are and we all are, have a finite number of hours or days left to do this pursuit and then we got to wait another 11 months so let's play nice together in the sandbox and um you know easier said than done right oh absolutely yep and yeah i would say i mean i've there's only been one occasion where i've i've gotten pretty bent out of shape and um there was probably some justification to it that was duck hunting specifically i won't get into it but overall like you know i mean i try to be extremely respectful of other guys but it, it's frustrating it, it really can be frustrating um and most of that time mo most of the times where you know guys get bent out of shape for me is, is duck hunting um and that's i mean because everybody wants to be in one specific spot and they crowd you and so i know how it goes and 
you know, fortunately we didn't really run into that out there at all. I mean, that was the closest encounter we really had, um, with anybody. And that wasn't even, it turned out to not be a big deal, obviously. Um, you know, um, fortunately they just kept going, but yeah. And it didn't, we kept working elk after that. So the elk didn't get blown out because that truck was slow rolling up there. So fortunately. So statistically speaking, like, uh, going into 23, are you guys planning on hunting from the truck? Do you have any intentions of doing a spike camp or bivy hunting? What was your average daily output steps or miles, things like that? So people could get an understanding of like what it kind of takes to grind 10 days like you guys did. Yeah. Um, so we never, we, we truck camp the entire time. And like initially and in, in that, that thought process kind of changed once I spoke with you last year, because we were initially going to, you know, hike in and you know, set up a spike camp and go back three or four or five or seven miles, whatever. And yeah, on that way. But, um, we did it, you know, kind of the way that you suggested where, you know, you stay mobile, um, that way you're not burning time packing out and getting your truck and then going somewhere else and hiking back in. Um, yeah, it seemed like it, it worked pretty well where we were just mobile with the truck um, because it was so hot, um, we would generally hunt for several hours in the morning. Um, and then we would, you know, just kind of lay low a little bit and then we would go back out for the evening. Our thought process on that was, you know, if we do kill an elk in 95 degree weather, I mean, are we going to have enough time to get it out before, you know, it spoils or, you know, just isn't as great or whatever. So, um, but we probably put on. I don't know, probably five plus mile for probably three to six miles a day would be a good bet. I would say. Um, and we just, but we didn't have to go that far from the truck to find elk. Um, so that probably could have changed into longer, you know, days or more steps taken, you know, if we did actually have to, you know, go out of our way to, to locate elk, but fortunately we found them and they were always relatively close to the truck. So, well, here's where I want to end. Will. I can't, I got to take advantage of a Wisconsin dude on the mic. So for those that are like either interested, maybe going on their first hunt out West or they haven't done it in a while, or even us out West guys who take it for granted that we live out West. Like I want a behind the scenes look of what it's like to be a Wisconsin dude driving to Colorado. So I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions, try to give me short answers and let's just see how many I can get through. How much windshield time from when you left your driveway to where you pulled up and parked the truck for where you hunted mostly? I think it was probably about 20 to 22 hours, somewhere in there. Okay, so did you guys budget that drive time on the front end and back end of your days off? Yes, we did. How many actual hunting days did you get in yourself? 10. So you had two days of travel? Yeah, so we we had we left the 28th, got there the 29th, and then we left the morning of the 10th after we got done hunting, got back the 11th. So we, we technically... We had more time, but we scouted for a few days because obviously the season wasn't open. And then we hunted the, the first 10 days. This is probably the most important question I'm going to ask you, I think. What dates are you hunting this year? September 13th to the 30th. So you did make an adjustment. Yeah. Um, and part of that is um, my plan was to hunt the latter half of September anyway, but it kind of just worked out that way because I got a wedding early September anyway that I'm going to. Um, so I'm going to leave... I work, my last shift is the 12th. I'm taking off two full rotations. Um, and so I'll have, I'm just going to leave right away. Cause it's like, what the heck? I mean, I'm not going to sit around for a couple of days and um, I'm just going to go out there and hunt from the 14th to the, to the 30th and uh, drive back after that. And then probably go duck hunting the next day. So <laughs> did anything break on your bow, on your equipment, in your truck, um, what did you guys have to fix? So we did have an issue with the truck. Fortunately, I can't even remember what it was. It wasn't anything crazy, but we did take it into town and get it checked out. Um, so that took up an afternoon. Um, I think we were able to hunt for a few hours at night. Um, but uh, nothing on the bow broke, fortunately. This year, I actually just ordered a backup bow um, off of eBay. Um, because if I am, if my buddy Leo can't go this year and I am the only one who has a bow, 
there's no way that I am gonna risk busting my bow all of a sudden I gotta go back to town either buy a new one or get this one fixed get it tuned ain't doing that so I bought a Botech Assassin for just over 200 bucks off of eBay um, I've got an extra site because I switched out my my site last year I went to the Black Hole Descent Verdict um, I'm gonna get a new rice rest for my primary um, and then I'm going to slap my old drop away on the Botech. I'm going to get that restrung. I got a buddy who does all his own tuning and everything. So that bow is going to cost me about $300 all told. And now I just have an extra one in case I need it. So love it. Good job. Um, give me a percentage and sh- be honest, all the e-scouting you did probably on, on X desktop, as well as Google earth or whatever platforms compared to when you actually got there and looked at it with your real eyeballs, eyeballs, was it a hundred percent match of what you expected it or based on, I'm just trying to get at like e-scouting versus real life. What percentage is like exact versus like, just so people know, I, I, and this is from a Midwest perspective. Yeah. Um, I would say that e-scouting like coming from the midwest and i'll I'll say this like i've got a pretty good understanding of what topography looks like on a map compared to the mountains or whatever i mean i worked and i worked out you were firefighter right yeah i was on hot shot so like i under i understand like you know like when you're looking at um a topographical map whether it's online or you know a physical copy of one and you look at contour lines and stuff it does not you might look at that and be like oh that's not too bad but then you actually get out to that spot and you're like, holy crap, that is not what it looks like on the map or what I thought that it was supposed to look like on the map. So I don't know if I could really give you a percentage, but I would say like, you know, what we were looking at, we expected it to look probably pretty similar to um, to what we were looking online. Um, just knowing the experience or like the experience that Leo and I had out there in the mountains prior to that. Um, but if you aren't familiar with the mountains, um, and you're just looking at a map. I mean, and that's the thing, like you gotta, I think, you know, being in physical shape and we talked about that a little bit last year. I mean, I think that's very important when it comes to, you know, actually getting after it out there, because if you're not in shape and you got to chase elk and go up all these, these, uh, slopes and everything, I mean, it sucks. It sucks anyway. Um, it's not fun to, you know, have a big pack on your back and, hike up a up a steep slope and you're you know just huffing and puffing the whole time and your legs are burning but it's a lot easier and a lot um less miserable when you're in shape for it so i would say yeah scouting we did a lot of e-scouting and stuff but you know just i would say for from midwestern perspective um just understand that like what you see on the on the map you might be surprised at what you find um in that unit or in that area when you actually go out there, it might look completely different to you. That's my, my two cents or my opinion on it. So, okay. Um, what was one piece of gear that stood out to you? That was like, I'm really glad I had this. I would say, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, a good bow, (laughs) good bow. I don't know, but yeah, I, I would have to think about that one, but, um, cause again, we we kind of just, yeah, we just hunted from our truck and everything for the most part. So it wasn't like, you know, something broke or whatever. Nothing really broke otherwise, except for the truck had that that problem. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you like one good piece of gear, but always have your release with you. There, there you go. Make sure you don't forget yeah. that and have two of them. Yeah, two is one. Two is one for sure. Well, dude, it was good to catch up with you, man. Like I really am impressed with what kind of I don't know I just like I said I really think you had a very successful season that was very fruitful for the long run you're a young guy you're a hard working you know Leo and you get very limited time off and it's a long ways from Wisconsin so I feel like I would say the elk are in trouble this year now that you're going back to the same spot and you got an additional time and you have less baggage and it's like oh my gosh so it's just kind of a matter of well getting some little bit of luck, little lady luck never hurt. Hopefully the muzzy guys don't run you out of there and um, should arrow your bowl. And, and I think you're just going to study up on your tactics a little bit and open up that playbook a little bit. Um, do a, work really hard to understand what the elk are doing and why are they doing like the timestamp of the day and what they're generally going to want to do based on 
the scenario that you find yourself in. Um, it's a guessing game, but as you get more maturation in the game, you'll start to make better decisions. And once you can start predicting what the elk do before they do it, well, that's when tags get punched unless you're just shithouse lucky, which it happens to all of us too. I'd love to be lucky every year, but that's awesome, man. Um, okay, so are you you on Instagram? What's your Instagram? Yeah, this is Will underscore Gore, G-O-R-R. So you can find me there. But again, like I said last year, I don't really post a whole lot, but if you want to give me a follow, that's fine. Oh, no. no, it's cool. Somebody might want to reach out. There's other cops that listen or whatever, or maybe other Wisconsin dudes. And um, maybe someone lives near you where they want to grab workouts and shoot bows and iron sharpens iron. Guys, this community is awesome. And it's um, I just feel so blessed to be able to to kind of be the guy who does the podcast thing. All that means is I just get to carve out time and hang out with people. It was Will. It was so good to talk to you once again. And you know the invitation to come back on is there for next year with some successful stories and uh, help educate us all on the learning curve because we all want to get better. Yeah, sounds good, Dan. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. And uh, good luck this season. Likewise, guys, separations and the preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Hope you guys enjoyed catching up with Will. I know I certainly did. And it sounds like he's got a great hunt plan for 2023. And I appreciate what he does for work and that he's blue collar and uh, he does blue collar style elk hunting that we all can relate to and uh, wish him best of luck. Guys, you have a lot of options out there when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing ours. If you would recommend this pod to a friend or do a review or share it on your um, Instagram story, it always helps and we really appreciate it. We can't do it without you. Separation is in the preparation. Catch you on the next one.